This is Laree Daniel Favors, and welcome to The Hub. We are all about reproductive justice, and we've been talking a lot about that today. And we're also going to be talking about overall health and one particular aspect of our health that is severely impacted in ways that I don't think we are talking enough about. I'm talking about fibroids and the disproportionate impact uh, that they have on the lives of Black people. My guest for this hour is Dawn Heels. Uh, she is an in-house senior legal counsel who has incorporated her love for creating content into her real life, uh, her award-winning life YouTube channel Dawn Heels, which has over 2 million views, has been created for women who seek to make a positive impact in both their professional and personal lives. And her Instagram account contains a wealth of go-to information on a day-to-day -day basis. And she is here today uh, because I happened to see some of her content that was dealing specifically with the issue of fibroids, something that I think to a person has probably impacted every single one of my sister friends uh, for decades. Uh, so Dawn Heels, it is such a pleasure to have you here. Thank you so much for being with us today. Thank you for having me. Nice to see you. Nice to see you as well. Uh, Dawn, let's talk about uh, a little bit about you. This is the audience's first time getting to know you. Uh, tell us about yourself. You are an attorney, uh, in-house legal counsel. That is a dream position for many young associates <laughs> out there. Uh, what type of law do you practice? And, and how did your journey into law lead you to becoming an advocate for women who are navigating issues with fibroids? It's very separate, actually. So I deal with commercial law. I'm actually in the pharmaceuticals business. So there is the kind of link there. But me helping women was kind of very separate from my day job. So this gave me a release to be creative. And this gave me a release to tap into the things that I really cared about. So my journey into the creative world of YouTube started with sharing my journey into law. And then I started showing my journey with regards to buying a first property. And thereafter this year, really opening up about my journey with fibroids, which was very different for me because I don't tend to share so much about my private life, but I thought I had to speak up about this. You know, I'm really glad that you did, because I think in addition to just revealing, removing some of the stigma and shame that I think many of us have around these issues, it also just put a real spotlight on a topic that I think many women have been navigating in secret. Typically, when we think about issues of health, we're thinking about people who do not often have access to resources, at least in this country, because health in America is something that is really afforded to you based on your economic status. And so when we're thinking about overall health issues, we don't tend to think about high powered black, you know, beautiful lawyers who are, you know, doing the corporate law thing because, you know, you've got the resources, uh, you've got the money to be able to, you know, buy your way into a better health bracket. And yet you, Don, so many of my sister friends who I went to law school with find themselves regularly navigating these issues. How did your, your, in your, uh, reality, let me say it a different way. How did you first come to realize that fibroids were going to be an issue for you that went so far that it would force you to have to talk about this publicly? So it goes back six years. I was working for a company where I was feeling very pressured and very stressed. So again, it's in the legal field. It's a very stressful job. It can be for many, many people. And I was experiencing a pain on my left side. 
I attributed this to the stresses of work and I kind of left it alone for a little bit. But then I thought this doesn't feel right. This felt very different from period pain or anything else that I had dealt with before. So I went to my doctor and he said, I think it's to do with your cycle. You'll be okay. Went home, pain was still there, monitored it for a couple of weeks, went back to him and he said, again, it's probably just your period pain. But you know when something is up with you. And I think ladies are very good with this. They will definitely know, oh, there's something going on. So I actually asked for a female doctor just so I can get a difference of opinion. And in the first instance, she said, I think you've got a cyst on your ovary, but I will send you to the hospital to get that checked. So I thought, well, that's not very good. A cyst on my ovary, I started to panic. I went and I had an ultrasound at the hospital and that's where they found two fibroids. The consultant at the hospital said to me, what you need to do is to make another appointment with your GP, with your doctor, and he will explain to you what fibroids were. Because as soon as I heard it, I didn't have a clue what fibroids were. But I was like, my goodness, I have two somethings in, inside of me. So I went to my doctor and he explained, you've got two fibroids. There's nothing to be worried about. It's very, very common. Just go away. But this pain persisted and persisted and I went back and I went back to my doctor and he said it's just the residual pain of the fibroids take a paracetamol so that's a drug over here that we have it's a very mild drug take a paracetamol put a hot water bottle on it and you'll be fine that's what I was told to do the symptoms I, I, I want to pause you there if yeah. I can because I'm my spirit is troubled. Uh, my spirit is troubled at a whole host of things because the first time your male doctor, now was this an American doctor or is this an, a doctor? Where no, so over here in the UK, our health system is very different to yours. So for everybody that works, you pay into our national health service, the NHS. So anyone has access to a doctor anytime for any ailment, you go to the hospital, it's fine. You don't have to pay essentially. Wow. If if you've got private insurance, that works pretty much in the same way as your health system. So you're paying for whatever treatment you need. So this was just a regular English doctor that you would go and make an appointment with who saw me in the first instance. So here's where the trouble begins and, and continues for me, Don, because the first time you told the doctor you're having this pain um, and it was persistent enough that it sent you into the into the the to be seen. The doctor says it's just related to your cycle. I, I have to presume, Don, this was not your first time having a cycle. Right. I just want to make sure. Right. <laughs> OK, so you have a, a lifetime or at least a, a post puberty lifetime experience right. having had your cycle. Had you ever experienced this type of pain before? I had never experienced that type of pain before. And that's why I say we know when something is up, right? Yeah. And that's why we're going to see the doctor. It's okay. very frustrating. It's very frustrating. So then my, my next point of concern is you go, they tell you you have a cyst on your ovary. You go get a checkup. They tell you you have fibroids. And then you have to go make an appointment with another doctor. Right. have fibroids explained to you. I was going to say it sounds heavenly. I, I, was, I grew up in Germany. I spent most of my childhood in Germany. And having access to free healthcare is something I've long forgotten the benefits of. But hearing you describe it was wonderful until we got to the point where <laughs> it felt very American, where you get this test result. And then you got to make another appointment right. to find out what was happening in the test results what was that like for you that the stress of that I'm sure it could not have helped your overall condition no not at all because like I said I didn't know what these were and I didn't know the impact that that could and would have on my life going forward 
So for someone to say to me in the first instance, it's just two. He didn't even tell me the size, where they were located or anything like that. It's fine, go away. You're going to listen to the doctor in the first instance. And this was me in my early 30s. So I, you know, I look back in hindsight and I think oh, I could have done more. But he told me it's fine. I'm going to go away with that and think, okay, I'll carry on with the rest of my life. It's persistent pain, but, it, you know, I can live through it at that point in time. And how did it continue to evolve? So over the next few years, it got worse. So the pain got really, really bad. I noticed that my periods were very heavy. They were clotty. I would bloat easily. I had lower back pain. I had pain in my butt cheek. I had pain that went from my butt cheek all the way down my legs. Wow. Um, I felt dizzy and nauseous sometimes. And it was just getting, it was getting worse and worse where I'd have to plan my life around a, my cycle and just how I was feeling. Now, I went back to the doctor to explain this, but at all points, he said, this has got everything to do with your fibroids. And it just, it is what it is. You've just got to live with it. Wow. So that was how it was until it got to a point in 2020 where I had an absolute enough. And I said, I wanted to be referred to a specialist gynecologist where he performed a pelvic examination and he was able to give me a bit more information. So the fibroids at this point had grown. So obviously that's why I was experiencing so much pain. Wow. And in terms of trying for children, it was rendering me infertile because of where they were positioned. So they needed to look into that side of things as well. And when you, you said this was in your early thirties, obviously, if you were planning on having children, these are thoughts mm. that at, you know, that time frame, you know, I, I was, I did not have any of my children until I was in my thirties, but at that point you're like, okay, something's got to have to happen here because there is a clock. Of and course. So at the same time that you're sort of navigating what life with fibroids is like thinking about how this is going to impact your reproductive justice, your reproductive health options. Were you able to find anyone who was able to provide some medical relief? I know some women have gone through surgery some have changed diets were you able to ultimately find any relief yes. from what you were experiencing yes so I had to go down the private medical route in the end so I was lucky enough to be able to get that through my work and so I have to back and if you can remember I said to you I had two fibroids when I went to see this other consultant he scanned me he found at least six so that was a massive shock to myself and when I had my open myomectomy in January this year, he took out 16 fibroids. Oh my God. Yeah. And the biggest one was the size of a grapefruit. So that's what I was dealing with for all these years that I didn't know about. That is absolutely insane. And when we're talking about the health disparities that exist, they are massive. I was talking with my audience earlier about a report uh, that was uh, based in the state of California, and they had studied over a thousand women uh, who had fibroids of various races. And what they found was that uh, for black women, women of African descent, uh, they were coming in at a rate of 26 to 27% of the women in the study had fibroids. Whereas with white women, uh, they were not anywhere near, we're talking maybe six, maybe 7% um, it, it, out of the entire group. And so there is a real over-representation of Black women uh, who are presenting with fibroids. In the course of your research, as you were navigating this space, were you able to find any similar information that looks at what those rates are like for you in the UK? Yeah, I mean, again, it more favors, and I say that in the looser sense, it more favors Black women over here so again, you are finding that 
because we've got this healthcare system, there are a lot of delays and people are being a delayed any kind of access to treatment because you're told to go away. And then if you are given a sort of remedy, whether it's, you know, hospitalization where you're going in for an, uh, an operation, you're going to have to wait for it's a very long time, like over a year to get that. So if you're able to go down the private route, then of course you can get that sorted quicker. But when you're going through just the National Health Service, yeah, it's affecting a lot of black women, but women overall, women overall. Mm, That is insane. And I'm looking at a website now uh, for people who need additional resources, uh, talkingfibroids.com, talkingfibroids.com. Uh, And they say that women of African heritage are diagnosed with fibroids roughly three times more frequently than women of European heritage. Moreover, Black women develop uh, fibroids at an earlier age and tend to develop more and larger fibroids. I think, Dawn, in your case, going from two to 16, one of which was the size of a grapefruit. uh, And these uh, more more presentation of the fibroids and their larger size causes Black women to have more severe symptoms. Uh, They say Black women are at least twice as likely, this is insane to me, twice as likely as white women to have their uterus removed through a hysterectomy due to complications presented by fibroids. Don, I'm sure those statistics don't really surprise you much. Of course they don't. And I think the hysterectomy, I read statistically over here in the UK up until 2001, which if you really think about it, wasn't that long ago. That was the only thing offered to women for fibroid treatments, you know, and that's very, very scary. And I've spoken to a lot of women over the course of my journey now who have said to me that one of the first treatments they are offered is a hysterectomy. And these are young women who have not had kids. And yeah, it's just awful. It's absolutely awful. Wow. Uh, Don, we have some callers on the line who want to share some of their stories. Do you mind if we take a couple of Of course, I'd love to hear them. All right, let's pray the technology demons don't do what they did yesterday, everyone in the audience. Let's press your hands towards your speaker and pray for (laughs) deliverance. Uh, But let's see if we can get Melody from Ohio, a first-time caller on. Hey, Melody. All right, the button worked. All right, Melody, can you hear us? Yes, I can. All right, you are on the air with Larie Daniel Favors and Dawn Heels. What would you like to say this morning? Well, I, I'm going through kind of a similar thing. I'm 53, so this is I'm a little bit stressed out because of it, and I really don't know what to do because um, the first doctor I saw about it was a male, and he immediately said, oh, you, you should get a hysterectomy. And that was it, no like further discussion about my fibroids or anything like that because this was the first time I've was ever even told I had them. So I saw a female and she was a little bit more open and suggested some other things, but I still have not done anything about it because I'm afraid, basically. Having a Melody, go ahead. Go go ahead, Melody. I want to make sure I don't cut you off. What was your last point? I would say having a hysterectomy even at my age is scary for me. My mother had yeah. one when she was years and years ago and had complications from it. And that's something that just affects me now that I'm worried about that. So yeah. I deal with all the effects, you know, when it happens. Melody, thank you for that. And I think your story is something that a lot of people are, are, are going to be able to find some resonance with. The fact that uh, you are in your 50s, I think, is 
quite frankly, you are right within that time frame between the 20s and the, the 50s and 60s, where we are seeing uh, more and more Black women who are presenting with these issues. Don, can you talk with us a bit about the fear factor? I mean, getting a diagnosis of any sort uh, can be really troubling to the spirit, to the heart, to the soul. Uh, talk with us about the, the, the range of emotions that you experienced and how you were able to manage the presence of fear. I was very angry at first. I think when my consultant said I had to have an open myomectomy, I was very upset and very angry because I thought that I'd wasted a lot of time. And perhaps if someone had taken me seriously beforehand, my operation wouldn't have had to be so severe. Can and you I wouldn't tell have us, to... uh, for the audience who may not know, what is an open myomectomy and what was that supposed to resolve for you? So an open myomectomy is very similar to the C-section operation, but what they usually say, it is deeper than that. And it's almost like shelling peas. So they cut you open in your lower abdomen. I have a six inch scar and they will then remove the fibroids with their surgical instruments. So with this operation, they hope to get as many fibroids out as possible. So in that sense, it is good. But as you can imagine, there are many risk factors. So the open myomectomy could convert to a hysterectomy. So that was one of my largest fears. A blood transfusion, which is what I had to have. So I had that a few days after coming out of um, the operation. I was actually at home. And had I not gone back to the hospital to check on my wound, Lord knows where I'd be today. So that's the other risk factor as well. And it's the healing time. So the healing time is pretty long with an open myomectomy. You're not able to do much. So my range of fear went from, yeah, just being very angry to be very fearful. But I had an amazingly supportive partner, amazing supportive friends, close friends and family who were able to kind of talk to me and say, look, this hopefully you know we hope because that's all they could do that this will change your life it is life-changing and I can honestly say that was the best decision for myself because it has changed the quality of my life and we've seen that there are uh, people who have a variety of options for some the surgical option is most appropriate for others with with some diet they've been able to shrink or 100% and, and that really also, I think, Don, is a function of the medical professionals you're working with, because if your doctor is not open to the idea that there are non-surgical ways of perhaps dealing with it, or if they, they shut you down so much that it's too late and at the point that you're able to do something uh, significant, the time for being able to take some of these, these less invasive measures have, has perhaps passed. I think, you know, you mentioned the anger and, and our caller mentioned the fear. I can only imagine the feeling of rage. Like I, I would alternate yeah. between fear and rage at being at having to go through this, particularly because in a situation like yours, you did present and you did say something is wrong and you were shut down. How have you turned this experience into a way of, of really educating other people? I've seen, I know that you have the content that you put out there. There are a lot of women out there who look to folks like you who have been very public about this as a source of inspiration and as a source of hope. What advice would you give to people who are first on their, the early parts of their fibroid journey uh, or folks who are even quite frankly more advanced and who are also also, like Melody, dealing with the fear and like yourself, dealing with the anger that can come along with not having had this diagnosed more appropriately? I think you definitely have to ask questions. Do not be fearful of asking your doctor questions. So how big are the fibroids? Where are they located? Those are such significant questions to ask because that can be tailored towards what type, if you're going down the operation route, what operation am I having? And something that I would say to Melody or Melanie 
is to self-advocate. If you're not happy with that result, a hysterectomy, seek a second, third, fourth opinion, because there's going to be somebody who can do something less evasive. I think, like I said, they're very much on the side of, oh, just hysterectomy, especially at that age. And that doesn't have to be a thing. Um, so that's what I would advise. Um, in terms of myself, I am very much um, an advocate for this. I want women to be able to just know what to do. And we're trying to prevent these things from happening rather than people having to suffer as much as I have. So over here in the UK, we don't tend to speak that much. We're quite a reserved you know, country or cultures like that. But by speaking up, I've been able to do sort of like support groups with regards to it. And that's what I want to do in the future. So lots of support groups, events. I ran a whole fibroid awareness month campaign where I had real women talking to me about their fibroid journeys, whether they've had operations or shrunk them or they've just started. But it was very beneficial for everyone to see the different journeys of what they've had to go through. I think that's so helpful. And, you know, I have a dear friend of mine here uh, who had a surgery when we were in our 20s. Uh, they came back, right? So it's it's yes. not, you know, for some people, this is something that becomes a much longer conversation. We've seen some reports that talk about the fact that uh, the products that we use, be they uh, certain hair products can contribute yes. to hair dye. You know, I thought I was safe, not perming my hair, Dawn, but I color my hair. And then I found out that hair color also can contribute so uh, to the presence. So, you know, my vanity is going to have to take a hit. Uh, but, the, <laughs> but this is such an issue that, again, I, I often say we don't just need more black doctors. We need more doctors who have been sensitized to our histories so that they are able to factor that into their treatment. I think the same thing is true uh, for women and for people who have a sensitivity to what it is uh, to be treated by a medical community that is largely male centered and is not really trained well at either seeing uh, the humanity of black people and, yep. and have questions questioning uh, the, the actual or factual realities uh, at, as they are presented by women uh, who they are treating. So Don, it has been a real pleasure speaking with you about this experience. How can people follow you and, and participate in the work that you're doing? I know some of your stuff is available online. Thank God for the virtual world shrinking the between the, the lands across the pond. How can people connect with you virtually and in other ways? So my Instagram platform is where I'm the most like you can get me on the DM so my Instagram handle is dawn underscore heels so h-e-e-l-s and then you can also find my YouTube channel where I have shared my journey which is if you just type in dawn heels on YouTube you'll find me there too wonderful thank you so much for that Don. it's been a real pleasure best of luck to you in this journey thank you navigate this space and as your journey continues please keep us updated i would love to have I you back to talk more about what life is like the farther you get away uh, from their procedure and as your healing continues thank you for being here today thank you for having me thank you so much absolutely be well be well bye-bye